Good day, ladies and gentlemen. In today's podcast, we'll be listening to one of George Carlin's famous comedy shows in which he criticizes religion and faith. Let me warn you, it's not for the faint-hearted. If you want to hear a response on some of the greatest issues with Christianity, then stick around as George Carlin, through his comedy show, um, teaches, us, teaches us on it. It is the 3rd of December, 2021. This is episode 72 of Fishing for Men with Mac. Welcome. Glad you're listening in. Let's get into today's show because it is quite a mouthful. Now, George Carlin, for those of you who don't know who he is, he was an American stand-up comedian. He unfortunately died in 2008. He has been regarded as one of the most important and influential stand-up comics of all time. They called him the Dean of Counterculture Comedians. I'm going to play you a video now of him, live, well, I'm going to play you the audio of the video, uh, when he was live in action in a clip called George Carlin on Religion and God. Now, I warn you that there's a lot of swearing, so I've tried to mute out the swearing. Sometimes his talking can be called blaspheming, and from a Christian perspective, that is the unforgivable sin, for in case you don't know what that is. Jesus said, basically, there's one sin that is unforgivable, and that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and in the context of what Jesus was talking about is that Jesus healed a demon-possessed man and the, the, um, the, the Pharisees, the preachers of the day, they walked up to Jesus and said to him, man, you are doing this in the name of Satan. Uh, the specific word they used there was Beelzebub. And uh, the point that uh, Jesus then makes after that is, is that you can't go around saying that the work I do by the power of the Spirit is the work of the devil. And, and that, that's all another story for another day. But that, in a way, is what these great critics of Christianity does when they criticize the faith. is that they're saying that this whole religion was not created by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not do this work. And in a sense, that is what blasphemy is. So blasphemy is not just using the word of God or the name of Jesus in vain in a, in a movie. That's not really blasphemy. Blasphemy is crediting the work of God to be the, the, the work of, of Satan. Now, um, if you're a Christian, this is going to be hard to listen to if you don't often listen to these types of things and you, you haven't developed a filter to, to cut out these things. So I don't want to offend anybody by playing this. Um, but these are the ideas doing the rounds out there in the world. And as you've heard, this guy's got tremendous influence. He's really influenced a lot of people. And so a lot of people, and you can hear thousands of people are applauding what he is saying. And it doesn't help us to hide from these things. And maybe we will even agree with some of it. I do agree with some of what he said. So, in any case, here we go. This is the clip. Enjoy or cringe. It's up to you. Religion has actually convinced people that there's an invisible man <laughs> living in the sky who watches everything you do every minute of every day. And the invisible man has a special list of ten things he does not want you to do. And if you do any of these ten things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever till the end of time. But he loves you. He loves you. He loves you and he needs money. 
He always needs money. He's all-powerful, all-perfect, all-knowing, and all-wise. Somehow, just can't handle money. Religion takes in billions of dollars, they pay no taxes, and they always need a little more. Now, you talk about a good story. Holy shit. Thank you very much. But I want you to know, I want you to know something. This is sincere. I want you to know, when it comes to believing in God, I really tried. I really, really tried. I tried to believe that there is a God who created each of us in his own image and likeness, loves us very much, and keeps a close eye on things. I really tried to believe that, but I've got to tell you, the longer you live, the more you look around, the more you realize something is f***ed up. Something is wrong here. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, poverty, torture, crime, corruption, and the ice capades. <laughs> Something is definitely wrong. This is not good work. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Results like these do not belong on the resume of a supreme being. This is the kind of shit you'd expect from an office temp with a bad attitude. <laughs> it's just between you and me, in between you and me, in any decently run universe, this guy would have been out on his all-powerful a long time ago. And by the way, I say this guy because I firmly believe, looking at these results, that if there is a God, it has to be a man. No woman could or would ever things up like this. So, so, if, if, if there is a God, if there is, I think most reasonable people might agree that he's at least incompetent and maybe, just maybe, doesn't give a sh Doesn't give a sh Which I admire in a person and which would explain a lot of these bad results. So rather than be just another mindless religious robot mindlessly and, and aimlessly and blindly believing that all of this is in the hands of some spooky incompetent father figure who doesn't give a sh I decided to look around for something else to worship. Something I could really count on. And immediately, I thought of the sun. Happened like that. Overnight, I became a sun worshiper. Well, not overnight, you can't see the sun at night. But first thing the next morning, I became a sun worshiper. Several reasons. First of all, I can see the sun. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Unlike some other gods I could mention, I can actually see the sun. I'm big on that. If I can see something, I don't know, kind of helps the credibility along, you know? <laughs> so every day I can see the sun as it gives me everything I need. Heat, light, food, flowers in the park, reflections on the lake, and occasional skin cancer. But hey, <laughs> at least there are no crucifixions, and we're not setting people on fire simply because they don't agree with us. Sun worship is fairly simple. There's no mystery, no miracles, no pageantry, no one asks for money, there are no songs to learn, and we don't have a special building where we all gather once a week to compare clothing. And the best thing, the best thing about the sun, it never tells me I'm unworthy. It doesn't tell me I'm a bad person who needs to be saved, hadn't said an unkind word, treats me fine. So, I worship the sun, but I don't pray to the sun. Know why? I wouldn't presume on our friendship. It's not polite. 
I've often thought people treat God rather rudely, don't you? Asking, you know, trillions and trillions of prayers every day, asking and pleading and begging for favors, do this, give me that, I need a new car, I want a better job. And most of this praying takes place on Sunday, his day off. It's not nice, and it's no way to treat a friend. But people do pray, and they pray for a lot of different things. You know, your sister needs an operation on her... Your, your brother was arrested for defecating in a mall. But most of all, you'd really like to have that hot little redhead down at the convenience store. You know, the one with the eye patch and the club foot. Huh? Can you pray for that? I think you'd have to. And I say, fine, pray for anything you want. Pray for anything. But what about the divine plan? Remember that? The divine plan. Long time ago, God made a divine plan. Gave it a lot of thought, decided it was a good plan, put it into practice. And for billions and billions of years, the divine plan has been doing just fine. Now you come along and pray for something. Well, suppose the thing you want isn't in God's divine plan. What do you want him to do? Change his plan? Just for you? Doesn't it seem a little arrogant? It's a divine plan. What's the use of being God if every rundown schmuck with a $2 prayer book can come along and prep your plan? <laughs> and here's something else, another problem you might have. Suppose your prayers aren't answered. What do you say? Well, it's God's will. Thy will be done. Fine. But if it's God's will and he's going to do what he wants to anyway, why the bother praying in the first place? <laughs> Seems like a big waste of time to me. Couldn't you just skip the praying part and go right to his will? It's all very confusing. So to get around a lot of this, I decided to worship the sun. But, as I said, I don't pray to the sun. You know who I pray to? Joe Pesci. <laughs> Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci. Two reasons. First of all, I think he's a good actor, okay? To me, that counts. Second, he looks like a guy who can get things done. <laughs> Joe Pesci doesn't around. Doesn't around. In fact, in fact, Joe Pesci came through on a couple of things that God was having trouble with. For years, I asked God to do something about my noisy neighbor with the barking dog. Joe Pesci straightened that girl out with one visit. It's amazing what you can accomplish with a simple baseball bat. So I've been praying to Joe for about a year now. And I noticed something. I noticed that all the prayers I used to offer to God and all the prayers I now offer to Joe Pesci are being answered at about the same 50% rate. Half the time I get what I want, half the time I don't. Same as God, 50-50. Same as the four-leaf clover in the horseshoe, the wishing well in the rabbit's foot. Same as the mojo man. Same as the voodoo lady who tells you your fortune by squeezing the goat's testicles. It's all the same, 50-50. So just pick your superstition, sit back, make a wish, and enjoy yourself. And for those of you who look to the Bible for moral uh, lessons and literary qualities, I might suggest a couple of other stories for you. Uh, you might want to look at the Three Little Pigs. That's a good one. It has a nice, happy ending. I'm sure you'll like that. Then there's Little Red Riding Hood, although it does have that X-rated part where the big bad wolf actually eats the grandmother, which I didn't care for, by the way. And finally, I've often always drawn a great deal of moral comfort from Humpty Dumpty. The part I like the best, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. That's because there is no Humpty Dumpty and there is no God. None, not one, no God, never was. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it this way. 
If there is a God, if there is a God, may he strike this audience dead. <laughs> See, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Everybody's okay. All right? Tell you what. Tell you what. I'll raise the stakes. I'll raise the stakes a little bit. If there is a God, may he strike me dead. See? Nothing happened. Oh, wait. Got a little cramp in my leg. And my balls hurt. Plus, I'm blind. I'm blind. Oh, now I'm okay again. Must have been Joe Pesci, huh? God bless Joe Pesci. Thank you all very much. Joe bless you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Now, let me start off, before I respond to his statements, let me respond to point out a few things about the man. First of all, he seems to make a mockery of religion more, of Christians more than of God. That seems to be his big issue. He's got a problem with religion, he's got a problem with Christianity, or, or with the people of the religion. And in a way, I agree with him. I, I think there's definitely merit. I mean, Christians have done a lot of mess. I've done some damage to Christianity by the way that I've behaved and, and handled things and even some of the things that I've preached in the past. So I, I could say, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a point there. But secondly, it is understandable why he has a problem with religion. And I can go back to last week's podcast. He was born into a Catholic family and he went to a Catholic school. Okay, and so his idea of religion was shaped by Catholicism. And you know what we said about Catholicism last week. Catholicism is not Christianity. In actual fact, if you want to if you really want to get allergic to Christianity, make you know, become a Catholic. Then you'll get allergic to it because it's a mess. As you as you heard last week, I mean this this yeah, it's it's just a mess. Anyways, thirdly, sorry, it's not the post podcast from last week, it's the week you know, before that, I'm just so, you know, it's tiring, it's getting the end of the year and I forget stuff. Anyways, thirdly, it is understandable why he has a problem with God. Okay, let me point out some things to you about his life. His wife died of liver cancer. Now, that is a horrible death to endure and to, it's a horrible death to witness that happening. His dad died when he was eight years old, but his parents were separated when he was two months old. And so he never grew up with a father. His father was an alcoholic, and so his, his mother raised him and his brother alone. He had a difficult relationship with his mother, and he often ran away from home. He went to a high school in the Bronx, but got expelled there at the age of 15. And so it seems like he was a delinquent child from early on, and very probably because he didn't have a father figure in the house, and he didn't get along with his mom. So when you're listening to this guy, you're listening to a person who's been damaged by a broken family. No wonder. He went to the Air Force, where he was eventually gen generally discharged for being an unproductive airman. Uh, he was interviewed in 2008, where he stated that using cannabis, LSD, and mescaline had helped him cope with the events in his personal life. And that shows you that this guy's gone through a lot of trouble and a lot of trauma. And, you know, life has just not been good to him. He also stated several times that he had battled addictions to alcohol and Vicodin and cocaine and spent some time in rehab. He had various health conditions, especially heart problems, which eventually caused his death in 2008. So it is in a way understandable why he held the views that he, that he did. He had experienced pain. He was ill. He had a bad childhood and a shaky upbringing. He had health issues and he, and he, didn't, he didn't like rules. Usually kids who grow up without a dad don't like rules. 
and therefore they despise being told what to do. And that might just be at the heart of his problem with God. And so if you look at his life, you can almost understand, man, why he feels the way that he feels. Now, without further ado, let me address some of the statements that he makes. He says, one of the statements was, Religion has convinced people that there is an invisible man in the sky. Two comments. Firstly, religion didn't make up God. Religion exists because Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. This is a fact of history. In other words, if Jesus never lived, then Christianity wouldn't exist. The religion of Christianity exists because of a historical event. Because God revealed himself. In other words, people are not convinced God is real because religion has told him so, but because the apostles witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. People believe in God because they experience him when they repent. And secondly, God is not a man and he's not invisible. He's also not in the sky. He's not bound by time, space and matter. He doesn't live in the clouds. Although we don't see him, and there's, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why we don't see God. And, and I've done a podcast on this. I think I entitled it, The Hiddenness of God. If, you, if, all, if God suddenly appears and he shows himself to all human beings on the earth, what do you think will happen? All of them will immediately repent, but they will repent because of his power and his glory and his majesty. They will be overwhelmed by his presence, not because they want what's good, not because they want to love the person next to them. They'll do it because they're overwhelmed by his power. Now go listen to that podcast. That's the reason why God hides himself, because he wants to see the genuinity of our love. We don't see the wind, but we see what it does. We see how it moves things. We feel it. And George Collin himself, by the way, agrees with that. He himself said there might be some organizing intelligence in the universe. He acknowledges, therefore, that when we look at the natural order, the world, something bigger must have organized it. But he refuses to call it God, you see, because the moment he calls it God, it would mean that he would have to change his life and start listening to this God. And it's very hard for him to do that because he never learned from his father to um, respect the one that brought him into life. And then he brings up the idea of the Ten Commandments, that God has got ten things he doesn't want you to do. Well, first of all, Christians don't follow the Ten Commandments. There are many more commandments than just ten, but they basically can be summarized in two. Love your neighbor and love God with all of your heart. So Christians follow Jesus. And by the way, are there any of these ten things that George Carlin wouldn't agree on? Because I'd like to hear him talk about that. Because these commandments talk about the fact that you should not murder and give false testimony. Maybe there are two out of the ten that he wouldn't agree with. Like, for example, keep the Sabbath and do not worship idols, for example. But I'm sure that he would agree that it's wrong to murder. So um, I'm sure he agrees with those rules. Those rules exist whether you believe in God or not. So what is the issue? If the government says do not kill, it is fine. But if God says it is... Then you've got a problem. If the government says do not kill and then you go and you do do it and you go to prison, that's not a problem. But if God says do not kill another human being and then when you die, you are punished for that, that murder that you, that you committed, that is not fine. I'd like to understand that. We accept the justice that human beings can bring, but we don't accept the justice that God can bring. The one who created it all, the one that, that, um, to whom everything belongs. And then he says, 
If you do any of these ten, ten things, then you go to hell. Well, first of all, hell is not meant for people. It was created by God for Satan and his angels. I think that just needs to be clarified. Second, hell isn't a place of fire where you burn and melt forever. It was simply a metaphor used by Jesus to say, man, that is not a place that you want to go to. Jesus was trying to use the worst type of experience on earth with your physical body to demonstrate the spiritual torment it will be to be without God in the eternal life. Hell is a place where God is not. And we've spoken about this before. It's a place where there is no love and no peace and no joy. It is a place where the godless go. Because they don't want to be with the God of the universe. And so God says, right, you want, don't want to be with me in eternity. That is fine. You can be without me in eternity. Thirdly, you go to prison if you commit murder. And everyone would agree that that is good and right. But when God does that, it's suddenly a problem. Sorry, I'm repeating myself here. Don't we believe in justice? Should Hitler not pay for what he has done? What about the rapists who never repent? What about those priests in, his, in George's uh, childhood Catholic church who uh, molested innocent boys? What about them? Don't you think that God should hold them accountable for what they have done if they never held accountable here on the earth? And then he makes this point. He says, we, we don't set people on fire simply because they disagree with us. And he's, he's sort of in that slyly um, claiming that how ridiculous it is that, that God sends people to hell because they disagree with him. I found that statement quite funny. So he says God sets people on fire for disagreeing with him. Is that what God says? First, God sets no one on fire. That's already been discussed. He simply grants the wishes of people. If you don't want to spend eternity with him, with him, you get to spend eternity without him. Second, if you disagree with the one who made you, then you are a fool. How can you think you know better and that you can do better than the one who made you? How's that possible? Do you, can you comprehend what type of intellect you need to create this universe? And we think that we know better than him. And it's interesting that somebody would say that when you look at his own life, his whole life would have looked differently if his family were obedient to Christ. But we'll talk about that in a moment. And then he makes the statement, he sends you to hell, but he loves you. Now we covered that. Just because he loves you doesn't mean he won't punish you. We do this with our children all the time. Love cannot exist in a relationship unless there is free will. What Jesus did on the cross was to show his love to the world. You have the free will to accept that and love God back. But if not, that is your free will, your free choice. That is what we call love. The fact that you don't love God doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. If God didn't love, why would he warn us to turn away from our ways? We don't love ourselves. That's the truth. Because if we did, we would do what is right. And then George says that God needs money. God doesn't need money. God has never asked for money. The scripture says the whole world belongs to him. A thousand on a cattle hills belongs to him. Yes, false religion begs for money. But that is not God. That's what humans do. That's what humans do. And I agree with him here. I'm with him on this point. It's absolutely true. Religion does take a lot of money because they've, they've missed God. And this type of religion worships money and not God. And then he says the longer you live, the more you realize something is wrong here. All the pain and suffering. And then he mentions them. War, disease, death, destruction, hunger, filth, 
poverty, torture, crime, corruption. If this is the best God can do, I'm not impressed. And I find that statement extremely interesting. And, I, you know, when you look at his life, you can understand why he says the things that he says. First, let me make some comments. I feel compassionate towards him. He has experienced this type of suffering firsthand. That's why he's so passionate. Alcoholic father, single mother, expelled from school, drug use, wife died of cancer. He's got heart problems. But what he doesn't realize, or doesn't seem to know, is that all the pain and the suffering stems from godless people like him. Let me use the examples in his own life. His, his, his parents' relationship went pear-shaped. Why? Because of his father's alcoholism. If his father was never a drunk, his family life would have turned out differently. And his father probably wouldn't have died so young. And his mother wouldn't have had to raise him in a, in a single way. If his father was obedient to Jesus, he would have raised him to be a good man. To make good decisions. He was expelled from school. Why? Because he made wrong decisions. He took drugs. Why? Because he grew up in a house where sin was rampant. And because God was absent. His wife died of cancer. And we've spoken about this before. Cancer doesn't exist because God goes and he says, Okay, I'm going to plant I'm going to plant cancer into your liver. That's not what happens. Human beings make decisions. Human beings are greedy. They make food that will give them money, but they don't consider the health, the, the health um, conditions that that creates in people's lives. Now to say, you know, I blame God for the bad things that happen on the earth, that I'm not impressed with what he does is a very big mistake. And then we look at the things that he lists himself. War. Who started war? Was it God or people? People. Disease. Disease. All disease was started by people. That goes. There's a theological explanation for that. Death. People. Destruction. People. Hunger. People. Filth. Poverty. Torture. All of those things. Crime. Corruption. Who does these things? Who creates these things? Why do these things exist? The decisions of people. I challenge you. I can go back and I can go show you in each of these cases that it started with sin. People who made wrong decisions. Who is to blame? Is God to blame for the decisions that human beings made? No, of course not. If you want to be angry, be angry at the people around you. Not God. And then he talks about the idea that, you know, that this is not a decently run universe. I reckon it's run pretty decently. It stays in orbit. It provides food and oxygen for all of us. The only thing indecent in this universe is what people do with their free will. It is the decisions that people make. If you want to be angry with God, then be angry with God for giving us free will and not making us robots. If God made us robots, in other words, we couldn't make decisions for ourselves, then the world would have been perfect. And there would be no pain and there would be no suffering and it would be just la-di-da. But we would be nothing, doing nothing out of free will. But I suspect quite confidently that George would not want to be a robot with no free will. I suspect he wouldn't want to be a puppet. He continues to say, God doesn't care about what is happening. Of course he does. That is why he will be creating a new world, a new heaven and a new earth. He can seal and feel the mess that people have made. And he will ultimately correct it. He reaches to all people. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's available and will save you. But he will not force you. So of course he cares. That's why he sent his son. 
to die on the cross, to take care of the suffering that we're going through. That is why, in actual fact, he became a human being to suffer. God comes and suffers with us. That's the gospel. He suffers with us. He dies. He gets killed by the decisions of men to demonstrate to us his love. He then goes on to say, I worship the sun because I can see it. The sun doesn't tell me I am unworthy. No unkind words. Well, the sun was also created. You'd be a fool to worship the sun. Because there's something bigger than the sun, the universe. And after the universe, there's something bigger, the one who made it all. And it's not the same thing as worshipping God. I understand the imagery that he's trying to portray, but you can't compare the two. The sun just sends light, that is all. Yet the creator of the universe gives much more than that. In fact, he put the sun in place. What is wrong with being told that you are unworthy is my question. What is wrong with that? We get told all the time that we're unworthy. Is it unkind for the Springbok coach to say that you're not good enough to make the Springbok team? Is it unkind to say to somebody, man, you know, you don't have what it takes to be the manager of this company. It happens all the time. It is a truth that we need to deal with. In Christianity, God says nobody's good enough, holy enough to be in God's presence because he is so holy. But here's the wonderful thing that you can become good enough and holy enough. If you embrace his son, you can be accepted into his presence. Even though you'll never be good enough, he makes you good enough. You can join the team through faith and God will never look at your sin again. In other words, in God's economy, yes, he tells you that you're unworthy, but he makes you worthy. He tells you that you're not good enough for the Springbok team, but he says, I will make you a good enough player. That's Christianity. I don't see how that breaks down. I see how that builds up and gives us an opportunity and blesses us in the heavenly realms. George then says, when you pray, you are contradicting God's divine plan. Now, I'm just using my own phraseology there, summarizing what he said in that section. When you pray, you're contradicting God's will, his divine plan. If God is going to be doing his will anyways, why pray at all? That's a good question, isn't it? And I don't have a specific answer. But just because I struggle to understand how God juggles my will with the will of thousands of other people and his, that does not prove that God doesn't exist. It merely points out that there is something about him and his ways that my mind cannot comprehend. And the Bible is not shy about this. The Bible mentions this all the time. I mean, Isaiah says, my ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways. It's much higher than yours. But let me give you my two cents. What, what if God's plan with the world is open-ended? What if our prayers can affect the destiny of our lives? What if that is the way that God wants us to, wants to run the world? Is it God's plan for us to have a relationship with Him? And a relationship doesn't exist if one person can't sway the other, right? You've got relationships. Don't you talk to your partner to change something and they change it? That's what a relationship is built on. Well, here is the crux. Right throughout the Bible, on numerous occasions, human prayer changed the will of God. Go look at Joshua. He prays to God while they're at war. Please don't let the sun set until this war is over and God makes it happen. He pauses the earth. Go look at Moses, who changed the mind of God. God wanted to destroy the Israelites. Moses prays, says, Lord, no, please don't. And he doesn't. Our prayers can change God's mind. And so what I suspect is happening here with George is that he's, he's got a faulty theological understanding of how God operates in the world. 
He's wrong to think that God has planned everything and nothing can be changed. The outcome cannot change. He will save a number of people, yes. And he knows who they are. But what happens in between is dependent on various factors that only his divine mind can grasp. So certainly there are things that God is unshakable on. But definitely we can persuade the heart of God to change things. Absolutely. And that is why we pray. He continues to say that prayer is about the same rate whether you believe in God or not. 50% sort of half the time I get what I want, half the time I don't. And then he says all superstitions do the same. You choose one, you sit back and enjoy yourself. And so he pulls Christianity in the same uh, camp as other superstitions or, or superstitions. Well, um, yeah, there's been no research to staff this. If that was the truth, all religions would have been more or less the same size. Why is it that Christianity continues to boom, that people come to faith and that people continue to stay with God unless their prayers have been answered above some of the other faiths? And by the way, you know, prayer is not about getting what you want. The Christian understands that he prays for things that he needs and sometimes what he wants, but he knows that God will not always give him what he wants because he trusts that God will give him what he needs. And so there's a misunderstanding here that uh, our faith or a religious person's faith is just about uh, getting what they want. That is not how God operates. The Bible is so clear that he doesn't give us what we want. Now we can pray with the wrong motives. We can, there's all kinds of things involved with prayer and his explanation here is just too simplistic. Uh, the, the prayers that God answers is not just about me getting a new car but about me having inner peace and life purpose. And there's a guarantee, there's statistical research on that. Let me tell you this. Research has over and over proven that people who believe in God, worship God weekly, are in a family, and follow the principles of Jesus, are happier and better off psychologically and physically than people who don't do these things. So it does matter what you believe. It makes a practical difference in your life to worship God. It makes a difference to pray it gives you inner peace. It changes your life. And to say that all superstitions produce the same thing is simply just not the truth. And then he says, look at the three little pigs, little red riding hood and Humpty Dumpty. And he says, he says basically that what you read in the Bible is the same as those things. This is a terrible flaw. Like I said in the beginning, Christianity isn't a story that somebody wrote sometime back it is based on an event an historical event on what people witnessed and saw okay it is grounded in history these stories the little red riding with three little pigs umpty dumpty they are not real figures there never was a real three little pigs or red riding hood or Humpty dumpty there's never been something like that okay now there's no serious scholar or respected person in the world atheist or not who doesn't agree that jesus was a real historical figure so you can't you can't compare the two okay and they keep on discovering things that keep on proving that what is written in the bible is true the flood the tower of babel noah's ark king david for years they thought king david never existed until they found an inscription with his name on over and over again, people want to disprove what is written in the text. And then they found dug in the dust of the earth things that proves it is true. So this is not a fairy tale. 
This is based on fact and history. And then he says, if there's a God, he may strike me dead. Does that sound familiar? It's interesting when I heard that, because what's the first story that came to your mind? The first story that came to my mind was Jesus with, guess who? With Satan. When Satan tempted him, do you remember what he said? Let God do this. You know, why don't you, why don't you just jump off this, this, uh, this, this building here, this very high building, and, you know, and, and surely God will save you. And what did Jesus say? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't put him to the test. So it's not a very wise thing to do that. And because he wasn't struck by lightning that moment, doesn't prove that God doesn't exist. And then lastly, when they asked him if he believed in God, you know what he responded? And this was later. He said, no, no, there's no God, but there might be some sort of an organizing intelligence. And I think to understand it is way beyond our ability. So here you have a man that vehemently stands on a stage, vehemently professing there is no God, but he actually cannot say it with certainty. And nearing the end of his life, he says, you know what? There must be some organizing intelligence. And so all of these guys who walk around claiming that God definitely does not exist, they're actually not that sure. Let me conclude. We have a bold man here bordering in his speech on blaspheming. We need to come have compassion for people like that. Life has hurt him. Sin has hurt him. People have hurt him. Religion has hurt him. We shouldn't get angry when we come across people like this and um, and we do believe in God. Don't get angry. If you're a theist and you meet an atheist that is like this, we should also not just simply go along with such people if we happen to like what they say. If we find ourselves in the atheist camp, we're like, yo, that, that's, that's cool. We must be very careful because most of these arguments are not grounded in truth or rationality. And most of them have not done their homework. I pray that you will have a wonderful week. God bless. We'll chat again next week. Bye-bye.